So a lot of parents are looking into one-to-one tutoring because they think it's better for their child to get a tutor's full attention. So what's your take on this? We have experience supporting students on a one-to-one basis as well as in group tutoring. We know that the group tutoring enhances the child's learning. The reason being is because they spend a lot of time on their own when they're doing one-to-one, they don't bounce back their ideas. It's just between them and the tutor. While they in the group tutoring, they have the advantage of bouncing back, looking at the people's pitfalls, learning from those pitfalls and be able to relate as well. And they create community within that group. The advantage of being in group tutoring is never like in school. It's not groups of 30 students. It's less than that. We always advocate the maximum of students that I've seen and that I put together as well was 10 students. And I believe that most people need to consider if they want their child to be tutored in a group tutoring set, the maximum should be 10. The ideal, we believe it should be six because there are more interaction. You can actually engage more with the students and give them the right support. So those are the numbers we advise in the group tutoring, and we see an enhanced improvement on their grades straight away from the moment they are in smaller groups, because they know everyone is going to participate in the lessons, and there is a better connection between them and the tutor. What's a typical group size at A2I Academy? The group size, we have maximum of six. We experimented with 10 students previously, and we saw there was a diminished quality in our delivery. So we maintain maximum of six students per group. For the parents, how would parents know if their child was, well, either overwhelmed by a subject in school or simply not challenged enough? Because I think these two things can have the same symptoms, but need a different approach. So either the child is overwhelmed by a subject or not challenged enough. So how do parents recognize and realize that difference? Number one is asking the pertinent questions when they come from school. And it's not just maintaining the basics that we usually as busy parents, we do. We say straight away, oh, how was your day today? Oh, it was great. That's it. You need to dig deeper into the questions you need to ask your child. So you need to be a bit more involved. Just take a few minutes a day once you see a child and just go through questions like, what subjects did you cover today? What did you learn? Can you show me a technique? Did you struggle with it? Were you able to ask questions? Because then you can gauge whether they were able to ask those questions in class and the teacher was able to support them. The other side of it is also when you have parents' evening. As parents, we need to be geared up. I wasn't geared up at the beginning and I learned to do that because I was in education for many years. And I always have a set of three or four questions for the teacher ahead of the meeting or during the meeting if that the prior wasn't possible. It's really important for parents to ask questions about their child's development. You need to be above and beyond the norm because it's really important to ask those questions that will gauge whether, okay, my child is challenged, but they don't have enough support in school. So what can I do to support them? Or they are not challenged enough. And if they're not challenged enough, they're going to be demotivated. So we can ask this question, does the teacher have the resources? If they don't, just say, okay, I understand. So I'll get some support aside and we get the communication going between parents and the teacher then transfer that information to the parent. And the parent 
then transfers that information onto the tutor because it's a triangulation of information as well. We need to make sure that we are supporting the child with their needs at home. And when they go to school, they can transfer the skills. So it doesn't look like it's this path. So there is a lot to do with having that communication going and asking the right questions from the get-go. And so for parents, what's the best time to go look for additional support for a tutor, for example? When is it too early and when is it potentially too late? I would say that's never too early. I would say, for example, when we are with a child in primary school, let's say even preschool, they're learning to write, they're learning to read, they're learning to communicate. So if you start earlier on, there are tutors that cannot support your child as early as, let's say, year four, year three. And the earlier you start, the better, because they develop their skills and they feel more confident in class and they don't get, get fallen behind. So when they get to key stage preschool to key stage one, they're already feeling more confident. They know how to do the basics. They don't have to be lost in the system of so many children. They might be more advanced than them. So I would say as early as possible because the tutor then becomes a mentor as well. And if you have tutors that are knowledgeable about 11 plus, even better, because if you're studying for Key Stage 1, Key Stage 2, having a, an edge in 11 plus means that if you're not in an area where the grammar schools are open and accessible to all, then you need to consider sitting your child in an exam situation for 11 plus, where they have maths and English, verbal and nonverbal exams. So these things need to, you need to ask yourself, what do you want your child to do? So as early as you start, the better. So don't leave it like for the exams only. The other thing about exams entry for 11 plus, you're giving your child a competitive advantage if they have an entry to a grammar school or if you're already considering to enhance their skills, they will be at a better positioning than other children because the 11 plus is a very comprehensive exam that will help your child develop other problem-solving skills that other children don't have access to. You mentioned two things that that really jumped out here one is the competitive advantage i know that as i grew up my parents were raising me in terms of just fit in don't stand out too much but i think nowadays having as a child a competitive edge or being ahead of of your peers especially in school and early on what's the impact then on the later life on on that career on their academic career or professional career and this is really important because obviously when they're earlier on we have more control over their academics as parents however as they start developing their skills and they see a difference between their confidence in class and other peers, they feel like, oh, wait a second, I can do this already. So what else can I do? And because they advance over the time, they start thinking about their career pathways much quicker. Obviously, there is some mentoring that are, is required, some tutoring that coach them through their life path. Because when you have a tutor that is completely involved in the development of your child, they're thinking ahead. Because when we're talking about education, we're not thinking about just them doing well now. We're thinking how they can get better for the future and to choose their, 
best pathway, whichever career pathway they want or entrepreneurship. So those skills can be developed during the sessions. And it's key to have a tutor that is not there just for exam prep. It's key, but it's not just for, is to guide them to possibilities because we represent a group of professionals that can guide students into their future careers as well. So that engagement is key from the beginning. Also that advantage of sitting the exam earlier. Some parents are not aware. And like you mentioned, my parents were completely unaware of the possibilities and probably there were not many in Portugal. But certainly in UK, there's a wide range of opportunities here where you have public schools, you have independent schools, you have grammar schools that have the opportunity to give your child a better connection within those grammar schools. So once they finish primary school, going to a secondary school where the network can offer them then an opportunity long-term in making better friendships that can support them in getting a career in banking or a career in, in accounting or a career in politics. All that is about the connections they make long-term. And you're giving your child an opportunity to do that. For some parents, it's not just about the academics as well. I've seen cases where parents relocate completely from where they were living with family, great support to areas where there are only grammar schools. We have an example in Greater Manchester, Trafford. Every school is a grammar school. So you're giving a competitive edge to your child, a competitive advantage for them to be in the best schools without having to go through the exams. Again, is things that need to be thought of as a family. So everyone needs to be be involved and involving the child in that process. And you mentioned several times mentoring as, as a big part of A2I Academy. And it's not only the tutoring side of it, it's not only the subject side of it, but also and coming up with a strategy and plan for the next two years, five years, maybe even 10 years and, and beyond that. So you developed the accelerated learning framework over the past 17 years. What is it that makes this method and this framework so special and effective for your students, but also the parents? When we talk about mentoring, not all the tutors, especially if you have one-to-one tutors that come to your household, they don't have that flexibility of time to extend that conversation because they have another duty to go to, or they have another priorities. And your contact is that one hour or two hours you have with the child and the family. What we try to do is make sure we're always in contact. So there is a triangulation between the parent the child and the tutor. So it has to be in that order, first and foremost, because there needs to be a connection between the family and the tutor, and also to understand how we can communicate consistently to support the child when they go through exams, when they are struggling with subjects at school. It could be a different subject than the one that is being taught. All that needs to be part of the learning plan. And the learning plan is not just for the child. Because let's think about things like interfering with daily routines. The advantage of being online is doesn't interfere as much, but we have to be in communication with the parents. Which means of communication are we going to use? How regularly are we going to communicate? What are the key areas that we're going to talk about? And for us, it's important to dig into the motivations for the parents, the motivations for the child, and the pathway they want to lead 
So the mentoring goes for the whole family is an holistic approach to support the family overall up until they achieve their target. Whether it's a target grade, which is not the most important, it is for achieving going to university and so on, but is what that leads on to. And most of the time those lead on to the career of their choices. They can get into the best universities. They can get into the best careers. It will stand out. The more prepared they are with the support of the parents, the more engaged the parents are, the better the child will develop. And this has been tested for the seven years that we've been open now, plus with other research. What is it about private tutoring that could help a child and parents more than the support they get in school from teachers? I think that, again, it's really key to understand how the schooling system works. We know that we call it traditional school. I think the clue is in the name. If it's a traditional school, they are catering the same topic, the same curriculum, the same lesson every day for that child. So it's not just for that child specifically, it's for a cohort on its own. So they're not looking at individualizing the sessions for one child alone or be able to cater very quickly for one child alone. I know that because I've been in the system for long enough to know it doesn't work like that. Over 17 years in primary, secondary and adult learning, I am aware of the constrictions teachers have to deliver an holistic approach uh, for every child. Any space, majority of the time, I'm not saying everyone, just let's be completely honest about this, but majority of the school, especially public schools, which we call it private schools, the public schools in UK, if 30 students in a class, it's not easy to cater for everybody. So let's put into perspective, why is it important then to monitor with a tutor, whether it's HY Academy or another tutor? So you need to look into the development of the child as a whole. When we have smaller groups, six, we get to know them as part of a small community in those groups. And we are getting to know the parents as well, because we have that one-to-one at least once a week or every two, every fortnight, where we communicate with the parents and we say, the progress is looking like this. I noticed that, for instance, so-and-so is not doing so well. Is there something going on in the background? Is there something that we need to be aware of? Because we can pick up as tutors, we can pick up that much quicker than in a class of 30, because we don't have just a satellite overview. We have a literally a focus, a tunnel focus on that child during the session. Also, when we deliver the sessions online, there's less distractions. The child As much as we like to say screen time is a bit dangerous, when they're studying with us, it's not about that. They focus because they know the attention is on them. And that's why smaller groups make sense. So you're focusing on the child in that moment. Whether it's six, very easy to to have a communication with six students. And then at the end of it, we can always call out the parents and say, is it possible to have that conversation? And we can have a one-to-one with a parent that requires that extra input. And the parents feel confident to come to us as well. We have other channels. It's not just through Zoom or online. We have Telegram, we have Discord, we have uh, WhatsApp. 
And parents communicate with us through those channels that they feel most confident with. And we're always available to speak to them, to support their child the next level. So if something's going on, you can't wait for the next lesson to take place. So they always send a text straight away and say, oh, this happened. Is it okay for you to look into that in the next lesson? I don't know if they feel confidence to disclose with us. Because as parents, sometimes our child is not as uh, open uh, because they, they want to portray this image. They are perfect children. And majority try to portray, okay, my dad or my mom wants me to be like this. So they already have gauged how they should be seen by their parents. So sometimes they feel more comfortable to discuss with the tutor. Obviously, we're talking about safeguarding, make sure that the tutor has all the credentials, uh, been teaching for a while at least, and knows about safeguarding as well. I always say it's important to have this discussion beforehand, before hiring anybody. Safeguarding DBS checks and been in teaching for a while. So we know that we're talking to someone that have the credentials to deliver and to support the families. So you, you said that smaller groups are more beneficial for, for the children. And, and even in, in a smaller group, maybe their child needs some additional support apart from the group that might not be suitable for, for all children in the group. So how can parents be sure that even in a group of six, their child is being um, taken care of with their best interest at heart? We had students with issues that they wouldn't adapt so well at the beginning. You know, you always have to give some leeway. How long does a child, um, for example, doesn't feel comfortable in front of the cameras and is very fidgety. Uh, what we have to do is understand the child as well. We know there are children with ADHD, AD, and how to gauge them into being more engaged with the lessons or less fidgety. It's creating sessions that are interactive. And some of those sessions that I've delivered, A2I has delivered over the year, is creating that gamification where they're not only, they learn from their mistakes, and this is something that needs to be raised during uh, any tutoring uh, provider should raise. One is learn from their own mistakes. So every time they make a mistake, not making a big ooha out of it, is actually highlighted and show, look, this is how we can do to improve. Sometimes we have to go a long-winded way and then come back. The other one is making sure that they are in an environment where they feel like, okay, I didn't know this before, but we have other students within the class that can come in and give that support. And it, that's the beauty of having the small groups because they're always willing to help. I see this all the time, especially with the young ones. They have this willingness to help others. And if someone is struggling, there's always a peer that wants to support. So the other side to it, when the child is really struggling and they can't do it, the beauty of technology nowadays, we have the breakout rooms. So we use the breakout rooms to kind of give that one-to-one -one support if needed, while the other ones are carrying on with a different task. Uh, it's rarely now that that happens because once they start getting engaged and once they get to know each other, what happens is the child starts helping uh, the other peers that are struggling. And you can see like almost the teacher is there just giving it the, the support on the outskirts while they say, oh, I did this. Try this method, see how you feel. And you feel like almost that community was created really to be more supportive between different students in the, in the group. So the mm -hmm. group sessions can be an accelerator 
And that's why we have the learning accelerator. You mentioned that you're using technology and virtual classrooms and so on. How important is safety to parents? Because, you know, back in the day, you would just invite a tutor into your home. You would look for a tutor regionally and locally. So how has that technology and virtual classrooms impacted that safety aspect for, for parents? There are two sides, there are two types of parents, and we're still living through it. With the pandemic and by the fact that we had to improve our safety because we have all these viruses going on, we don't want to bring someone in. So that's let's go from the beginning. I think there's quite a lot of things that we can cover in terms of safety. Number one is bringing someone from the exterior to your home. Most of the tutors that I've seen, some of them are not qualified teachers. Some of them are actually just university students that did really well at school and want to deliver the session. Some of them are qualified teachers and so on, but have scarcity of time. What happened with the parents, they start seeing with the pandemic that the tutors could be available, but they wouldn't interfere with the household lifestyle. I remember doing that as well at the beginning before starting A2I Academy, where I used to drive around. And sometimes if there was traffic jam, there was delays because when you're traveling north and south of the city, there, there was impediments. So that reduced dramatically and the parents saw the benefit. Then we have the livelihood of the house when someone new comes in. I remember going to households that where there was pets and just having someone else different there. They get excited and that would interfere with the lesson. When you're doing it online, the child has their own corner. They already locked the door. They are focused. So that changes the dynamic. So the parents start seeing a better development of the transition from going from offline to online. And it changed the other side. By the time I got into a home, the parents, they wanted to give that extra support. Oh, do you want some tea? Oh, I'll take your coat off. Do you need anything? And that interference takes five, 10 minutes of the lesson. And the tutor is waiting to get out as well as soon as they finish, because we have another session to deliver elsewhere. We need to drive around or we have our own families. So we saw that tutors now, by delivering online, they gain time. For themselves, they gain time to have that one-to-one -one with the child at the beginning. That's five, 10 minutes wasted on a petite, which is great, but it's the time eaten away from that moment of delivery. There was no calls to worry about. There was no exit to worry about. Uh, like almost we had to say sorry to exit the home. And um, sometimes we wanted to discuss something with the parents and we were not able to straight away and see you next week kind of thing. And that stopped since we started delivering the sessions online. So it has been a massive advantages for the families. And they appreciate that we now take more time to look at the holistic side of the child. And we are able to deliver, if it's a one-hour session, we are able to do that and discuss and talk and uh, use the, the resources we have online much quicker than having to carry on books upon books upon books. And that changed dramatically. And we're talking about both sides, obviously, but we still have parents that want, that want one, that want that come to, to our home kind of situation. And those parents, it's okay as well. But what I believe is they are losing the opportunity of the small group tutoring. They are losing the opportunity to enhance their child competitive edge that they would have 
if they were in small groups. The sense of community, the sense of communication is not just a one-way communication. It's like you have other people in the group that competitive as well when we have gamification of the session and they are willing to play together. Again, that collaborative work that is missing out sometimes when they go into the workplace, they feel like that it's disconnected. I know in schools they do it often, but sometimes it gets lost in translation who does what. But when you're doing online, there is a better perception because you can have a full overview who's doing what and when. And you can give support to students in breakout rooms as well. So the parents have the safety side of seeing how they're doing because the sessions are online as well. The sessions are recorded and most of the time they are placed in a learning management system that the child can review their learning again and again, especially when we're talking about the UK education that goes over a long period of time and it does not interfere with the daily life of the family. Even if they go abroad, they can still learn. I remember teaching from abroad and I remember some students going abroad and still have a lesson with us. So that kind of enhances uh, learning online, enhances the family uh, having better support long-term than the other way around and the safety of the child and the family. What's a good way for parents to evaluate the quality of a tutor or tutoring service? Oh, that's really key. Uh, so number one is, is the tutor qualified to deliver the sessions? I always believe, okay, fair enough. We have a lot of tutors that know how to pass an exam, but as we mentioned before, it's about mentoring. So number one is definitely knowing that the tutor has delivered for a long period of time, minimum three years, delivered these sessions in a public school. So you know that they are familiar with the curriculum and that is paramount. Number two uh, is if the tutor can build a report with your child and with yourselves as well, with the family. It's really important to know that they have the same connection or they feel like they vibrate to the same energy because you're going to be with that tutor for a long period of time. I think that is paramount. And then thirdly, obviously, if you have that open communication and triangulation that we mentioned before, because through mentoring, through tutoring, if you don't have that triangulation, something is going to be lost in the translation. And we've seen this with a couple of our students where colleges and schools didn't believe they were capable of doing it or didn't feel even that the student loved maths. And we had students that love maths, but in school does not translate. The reason being, we know too many of them. And they were not challenged enough because it's not possible to challenge 30 students at the same time. Let's be realistic. So again, it was key to see that some of those students, they were not challenged. They love maths. They came out to great times. They like to interact. If you make them relatable to something they love, which again is a personalization of the lessons, you need to ask those questions. If my child doesn't learn in a certain way, how would you go about it? So I think all of that needs to come together before you hire anybody else. And that experience really will translate in those different areas. You mentioned report, and, and I think that was, that was a really interesting point. It's like vibing on, on the same frequency and then just 
you know, it clicks or, or it doesn't click. And I think that that's really important because a lot of kids, it just doesn't click with their teacher at school. I know for myself, you know, part of it was the subject is like maths was like, no, not interested. That, that wasn't really creative enough for me. You mentioned rapport between the tutor and the student, the learner, the child. That's such an interesting aspect of it. So when parents evaluate tutors that a, let's say a three-way conversation or conference call on Zoom between the parents, the child and the tutor, would you suggest that and advise that? Absolutely. I'm going to give you just an idea of what happened before. When David was little, my son, now 18, he's not little anymore. He had to go to nursery. And I had always this in my head because I had a really good nursery where I, where I was before when I was younger. And I had this idea, my child needs to go to a nursery where he feels com comfortable. If I see a child crying for days and days in a nursery, that is a telltale they're not in the right place. So I used to go and check the nurseries and ask for a play day, like a couple of minutes or hours, just to see if he adapts. The reason being is I know he knows what's best for him. His energy will tell if he's happy, if he's running around, if he's interested, if he's engaged. And that was key. He was one and a half years old. And I could see certain places he went to. He was not comfortable. He was clinging to me. He was crying. So I use the same method to anything or anywhere I go nowadays. If he's not comfortable, I won't go because I don't feel comfortable with the environment. So the same applies when hiring a tutor. So the parent needs to first and foremost think who's actually going to be in the receiving end of that lesson is my child. And does he really want that lesson? Did we have a discussion before? I'm considering uh, having a tutor. Would you feel comfortable about that? And the reasons are, again, and I think parents need to be aware why they're doing it, because if the child feels forced, trust me, I've been in many lessons where the child feels forced. Those are the highest cancellations of the 70% that I had in my entire life. I don't advise that to anybody. It doesn't matter if the tutor is amazing. It doesn't matter if there's a subject knowledge. The fact that the child is not motivated to have those lessons, that is not going to support them. It can be the tutor, but it can be the fact that there wasn't a triangulation before between parents and the child. And then the tutor comes along during the conference. So I advise parents first to be clear with the message they pass on before they just plug in a tutor without having that conversation. It's not going to go well. I've seen it. And the second one is making sure that the child is involved in all the process of hiring a tutor and a tutoring service. And they need to remember some of these relationships become long-term relationships that can go from primary all the way to secondary school or can be a three, four or five year engagement that they have. It needs to be perfect for the family. And I wouldn't advise any different. Maybe it's how we work, but it is key because without that, there isn't real good relationship that comes out of it, nor a good learning environment, because that creates a good learning environment if the, there is a connection between the families and the tutor and the child is happy to attend that session. There's several things that, that I can take away from what you said is number one, there needs to be a report between primarily the tutor and, and the child. Yeah. If the learner is uncomfortable with tutor, then it doesn't make any sense to go with that tutor or that tutoring service because 
the parents wouldn't and the child wouldn't get the results that they were looking for. Yes. And also, it's, I mean, it's, it's not, not only the subject, but it is primarily also the, the tutor. Is, is there a connection between the learner and, and the tutor? Even if everything else is kind of ideal, um, you know, the background checks and, and the subject expertise and, and everything, but if there's no spark or the, it doesn't click between the student and the tutor, the, the parents should not, should not go with their tutor or if it's a tutoring service, see if they can get a different tutor. Yeah. At the correct. same time, I think it's, it's also in the responsibility of the tutor and the tutoring service to say, um, I don't think we're, we're the best fit for yeah. your child. Although technically, you know, we, we tick all the boxes and, and that's fine. But we just feel that we don't have a tutor that, that is kind of on the same wavelength than your son or your daughter. So I think that that's also the responsibility of, of the tutor and the tutoring service. You nailed it on the head there because that is key as well. And many times I had to say, maybe I'm not the best fit. And sometimes the parents like, oh no, because we have good references from you and we've seen the results you've got. But we need to be honest as well, because sometimes we might be dragging that child into something they're not willing at that moment in time. It doesn't mean that it's going to be forever. It might not be because of the tutor even. But if there is already a kind of a resistance between the student learning and the parents trying to force the learner onto a session on a weekly basis, that shows that something is not quite right. So sometimes it's giving the students the opportunity to pick their tutors, to pick uh, how they want to learn, to kind of... Um, come back uh, to, to that initial recruitment process and say, okay, we have a couple of tutors, let's have a meeting with all of them and you select one. And that could be even based on all the questions first, obviously gauge all the questions first. So you're happy with it to make sure your child is involved in the selection. And then when the meeting takes place, then you get a better overview and if there's that connection between the child and the tutor to triangulate. And you can even say, okay, try for four weeks. And if you're not happy with it, we will draw. And that is sometimes a way of doing. I know not all the companies would agree to that because for instance, we can say A2I Academy works really well from the beginning. We have enough resources to see how our lessons take place. We do communicate well with the parents way before they engage with us. So the key is for having those communications at the beginning, having that first call to find out if he's a good fit for the family. And then once that decision is made, it's much easier than just jumping onto a situation where you have to drag your child to a lesson. We need motivated parents, but the biggest motivation is the child wanting that more than anything else. And they need to know the reasons why, because I know some of them is like, you need a grade, you need the grade, you need the grade to go to that place to go, but it's not engaging with them because sometimes understanding what the child wants first, imagine they want to be an astronaut. So then we need to have the conversation. Okay. To be an astronaut, you need to have this grade. You need to go to this university. You need, okay. So can we put steps in place? Then he's getting the child involved. Obviously not early as three years old, please, but <laughs> at some point. In time, that's when we have that kind of dialogue. It's really important to gauge 
motivate the child before the meeting and ensure that there is a good connection between the three during the period of time that is going to be very lengthy. They need to be partners in, in, in crime, let's call it. What would be a good way for them to lower the resistance that maybe there is in their child to get some additional support, to go to, you know, private tutoring? What can parents do? How, how can they work with their child to lower that resistance? And do you have like typical examples of why there could be resistance in a child to go to a tutor? There is, there is many. Uh, and I must say that the few that we have, it has to do with the fact that the child was always either forced to do some kind of activities or uh, we have situations where the opposite happened. The child had coordinated activities and they knew what their schedule was and they were able to maintain it. So let's see the non-motivated child. The non-motivated child uh, always have excuses, uh, would use any um, support mechanism. Sometimes we have the parents, a good cop and the bad cop kind of situation. So they use that to friction. Oh, I can't go because I have this activity with so-and-so. I can't go because I'm not feeling so well. And there was always someone that would cover that. And the cancellations would happen most of the time last minute which is really bad for a tutoring service. You can imagine that they prepare the lesson, they have everything ready. And then it's like just straight away onto the bin because that session was canceled and we weren't able to fill in. If he's in a group situation, it's miles easier to deal with because we have the five students to, to work with and there's nothing you can do. The session is paid for and the, the child attends or not, it's, it's not going to impact much on the tutor. Uh, but Prior to that, obviously there is the impact that we know that child is not developing the same rate as their peers. So there is a catch-up session that we need to put in place for that. So that is disruptive for the tutor to deliver. So can you imagine if we had so many students like that? So again, it need to be well discussed between parents before they start on this journey. It'll cost them long-term, not just in terms of grades, but how much they putting towards that child and the results are not there. So I always say, think very carefully when we are going through this process and get the child involved and see their motivation and see how they are developing over time, because that is a long-term commitment. For the motivated students, we see there is a routine in place. So this is what the parents should learn. The parents that have an unmotivated child and a motivated child. So I see the difference between both parents is there is a routine in place. They know what's on schedule for the family well in advance. So sessions are not canceled. So they know that is paramount. So they see it as a continuity of a session after school. So they see it's like, oh, it's part of school day. So we do it during the week. It's done and over with. And then some parents that don't want to have lessons over the weekend, especially they want to have the time for themselves. They're free to do that because the sessions have been covered during the week. There is a routine. They know they need to study during that, that session after school, and it doesn't interfere with the other activities they have in place. Also the organization of the child, because is getting them involved early along with a massive skill, which is time management and being organized with their studies because 
obviously they trans they have transferable skills that go to school, but they have transferable skills that'll be for life. And having different folders for the tutoring and different folders for the school will help them stay organized. They know they're going to grab that folder that is specific for the lesson and they get through it much quicker, much more organized, and they feel like it's part of their daily routine. So again, that brings that sense of, we know where we are, we know what we're doing. So that child then that is more motivated, you'll see a different demeanor compared to the child that isn't. So I hope that helps parents really identify because it's key to know how to tackle those earlier on and creating a steady routine, an environment where the child is involved in all the process and understanding how the tutor will come to be an extra support, not because they are weaker as well, sometimes it's not that, is to advance them and challenge them where they won't have this in the traditional way of doing school. So what would you tell parents who tried private tutoring in the past but just didn't get the results for their child that they were looking for? If they didn't find the results and they see repeat transgressions that the child is still having the same issues in school, still not being able to grasp the subject, let's say after six months, you should see an improvement of that child's extra support at home or supplementary support, let's call it, supplementary support at home. So I think the parent needs to have that conversation again with a child to find feedback. How are you finding the lessons? What is it that you would like differently? What is it that you like before that is not happening now? And that discussion can be done with the parents as well and the two, so they can then say, okay, we need to change this. You like this before any work, so we'll adapt again. And that functional conversation will help then translate onto the lessons that might support this child specifically whether he's having something in advance for them to see, especially children that are in the spectrum, they need to see things in advance. So prepare them for what's coming in the lesson so they can review and then they can come back. Or if you think that it's been a long time and you're not feeling comfortable, sometimes it's looking at different venues, different tutors and might not be adaptable for that child. And the parent, as well as the tutor, need to be ready to say, we tried it for six months, is not the best fit. I think we're going to try something different and appreciate that moment of honesty as well. So from your experience, what's a good time frame initially to really see if the private tutoring kicks in for the child or not? I would say three terms, two to three terms. So we're talking about either six months or whole year, because remember the conversation we had initially this relationship might last up to five years, up to even more, if the tutoring service have an extended support from primary all the way to secondary, which means that conversation needs to be taken earlier on, where we need to know if the child is getting the results, the reports is showing. If we having different results during the tutoring session and the child are having completely different results at school, it doesn't match, then more digging needs to be done. I think from the parent side, they need to look at the school system. If the child is comfortable there, if he's not someone that is very quiet, because sometimes it doesn't translate. The child is super confident in the sessions, online sessions, and then he goes to school. It doesn't translate there. Maybe there's something that needs to be dug out. 
I always say that there is, there shouldn't be too much difference. I've seen even with their motivated children, whatever the tutor says, it then translates on a parent's evening. And it's incredible because I know that child so, so well. I said, okay, you had a parent's evening. Let me see if I guessed. And I have usually this with our, with our students. All that says this, then this. And they're like, oh, how do you know that? We've been together for a while. So I'm positive it is. And the parents then translate the same. Oh, the parents had the parents evening and said, this is what the tutor said. This is what, okay, I know all that because I spend as much time I evaluating in during the week than a teacher probably overlooking, just overlooking over the that week, 30 students. But because I have that tunnel focused with that student, it's easier to see it during the group sessions that, yeah, I know exactly how you are and this is what is showing. But the key then is, again, what we're looking is not how their personalities are or their attitudes. The key is understanding where the gaps are. And when you are in a group session, you can identify those gaps and highlight it consistently. So how can the parents then translate that into a parent's evening is asking those questions. Okay, I know my child, I know his attitude. The tutor as well that we have alongside says the same. Now where the gaps are, how can I support him? Because you're telling me the same gaps happen here. He's not translating when he's doing a tutoring session or he's not translating on the reports we're getting. And because the tutoring sessions are very focused on just understanding how the learner thinks, and how he translates then onto the problem solving, we can say, okay, I can see where the issue is here. But in schools, it might be harder to go in that level of detail. But if there's no results coming from there, maybe those questions need to be asked to see what's happening in the background. We don't want to leave it too long because that child is going to be in school for a long time as well. And if the results are coming from that is a bit of a risk-taking. Like I've done recently with my students, they sat the exam earlier, a year earlier. They could have done, if it wasn't the pandemic, two years earlier, but there was no exam centers and they went privately. The reason being is sometimes their child is so ahead of time. The schools will tell you that the child has a grade seven, for instance, and with you, you can see that child is a grade nine and you letting go one more year where that child is getting demotivated in class, where they could have advanced and do A-level maths, further maths, while they're focusing on the nitty-gritty of just sitting in class and going at the same pace as their peers. That is very dangerous. That's where we lose our creatives, our scientists, our mathematicians, and this is what we need to change. And to tell you the truth, I have no, no shame, I'll say. If I see a family that requires that child to sit the exam earlier on, I will promote that to them. The reason is the schools have a system that is completely different than homeschooling or the case of online tutoring. We can offer flexibility. We have partnerships with other organizations to support that development of the child at their own pace. And they might mean that their pace is earlier on rather than later on. So we need to be very aware that we need to support the child fully. It might not translate from school, 
because the school didn't pick up. Actually, this child loves maths. He's just fed up of doing the same thing over and over again and wants to do something else. Maybe they're great at literature. Maybe they read well, but they don't have enough time to show their skills. So they're going to be demotivated and demoralized. So how can we change this over time is really digging into those questions. So parents also need to be better prepared to ask those questions when it comes to it. And I hope it helps more families as well understand what they need to ask to understand why there is that disparity. It might not be the tutor. It might be that is a complete different reality that happens in school and what happens in lessons. And you mentioned homeschooling as well. So there's this kind of two things. One is the tutoring side, the private online tutoring side, and then there's homeschooling. For parents, what's the difference? And when should parents go for private tutoring? And when should they consider homeschooling? That's a really good question in terms of they can be completely different or they can be merged. I see that, for instance, we have parents very confident in creating activities for their children. And obviously, when they create those activities, you're thinking about the creative side, the entrepreneur side, the ways to develop life skills. Perfect. But there are some parents that are not so strong in maths and or they're not so strong in literature. They're perfect in language, but not so sure in literature. We need to think, where is that child then developing into? And I had students from both sides. I had homeschooled students and students in public or private school. So the difference is, once that child gets to a certain age, as homeschoolers, do they want to pursue a career that requires a certain level of qualification? And that's the question the parents need to start asking around the year in, uh, when they are 11 years old, 12, 13. The reason being is at that stage, they need to start preparing for the nationalist exams, the GCSE, because those are the key to enter into university or college of their choice. If they want to do mechanical engineering and they don't have the basic skills for maths, it's going to be very hard for them. If they want to go into engineering, they don't have the skills for maths, it's going to be very hard for them. They might have this problem solving the basics, but not have that extra that we need from statistics, that extra that we need from geometry. And it's key for them to develop those skills to at least prove that they can sit those exams and pass those exams to have access to that. So homeschooling can be merged. The parents shouldn't just think that, okay, I don't want them to go to a public school. I'm happy delivering and supporting my child development the way it is, which is phenomenal. I've done both. I know the difference. And I believe that merging them when the time is right for them to be able to have access to everything else that is available for the ones that are in, in public and private school, it's important. Because it doesn't mean just because you're homeschooling, your child can't sit an exam. They can. I've done that. I've put a lot of students through private exams. We have teams all around the world, not just in the country, that we can look for the best center, the nearest possible, where your child can sit the exam. So just think about the options. Don't close all the options to your child because still we are in a system where the grades to getting to university are required. So let's think about how we can best support them, even if they're homeschooling. So they can pair up both. And so 
for parents on a budget who still want to help their child, what's a good way for them to find a tutor or let's say any other way of assisting learning platforms? What's a good way for them to just give that additional support that their child might need? This is one of the questions I've been asked over and over again, and it's important for the parents to understand just because they can't afford doesn't mean they don't have certain accesses. It's about creating routines again and finding out what's available. One of the things we mentioned in a previous podcast is the fact that maybe people don't have access to technology as well, which is sad to say in this day and age that we don't have families without internet, without laptops. But we need to look at the wider resources. We are in a very resourceful environment where we have access through schools, sometimes after school clubs. We have libraries. We have definitely ways of contacting the councils. If there is an issue with not having the actual devices, contacting the schools and requesting for that device to be accessible for all the families so they can have then internet access as well as a device to do their work from. We are in a digital world. It's very difficult even to, to um, believe uh, that there are families that haven't got this access. If they have access to technology, within schools, we have the National Tutoring Service, uh, which is to support schools with the extra lessons. Again, the parents will need to pay for this. And if it's not in place, please, please, parents, ask the school if this is available, you want your child to be in it, to enhance given that the pandemic has, hasn't allowed normality for them. Um, and I think that is paramount. The other thing is all the resources as A2I Academy, we are always creating new resources in place. And if his affordability for a whole lesson to take place is not there, we have lessons that you can pay small amounts as and when you require. So you have also free resources. Uh, you have free resources available where you can tap into uh, from exam practices. You can go on YouTube and watch many of my colleagues have wide range of resources in there that you can access. Also, we have our own platforms where we advise people to have a look at different techniques, how to do and solve problems. You can't say you can't find a free resource for that child, whether you go to the library whether you ask support from the school, whether you ask support from the council. So I believe families that are struggling, there are resources out there. You just need to let your voices being heard. I think that's key. The final question for today. You're an advocate for girls to enter the STEM field, as I understand. What is it that you think young women bring to the STEM field and how do they enrich that field? Oh my goodness. This is a must, definitely. I would say I saw it within my profession. There was not many maths tutors that were female. And there was certainly not many maths tutors that were black. I would say I was like almost a niche within my field. Again, it does help me to say I so want to encourage more girls, more women to embrace maths white. Our creative side, by nature, women, we're very creative. I'm not saying that our boys and male counterparts aren't. I just say we, we are creative in everything we do. When we cook, we can come out with different things. When we draw, we can come out with different things. 
it's a different way of thinking. So we have different experiences as well. We're more extrovert sometimes as girls than the boys. And we can bring so much wealth into the maths and the sciences and technology. So why are we not doing engineering? When a woman is doing engineering, it's something completely out of space. It's, it's just amazing to see how they develop the skills. And they're always hiding away as well, the few that are out there. And I want to see more girls and women in STEM. So I'm definitely an advocate and I want more uh, girls to feel that way. And I remember quite a few students of mine, the girls, they were like, I'm not good at maths, I can't do maths. And they end up going to college they're doing A-levels for the maths and they're considering now their options in terms of career. They're embracing coding and they realize that coding is part of everything nowadays. And there's so many opportunities out there. That is not enough coders. So get my girls in STEM, technology, science, maths, but obviously I'm biased. I would say maths is definitely the father of all of those. <laughs> or let's well, the call mother. it the mother. <laughs> Just took the, you just took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. The mother of all of those umbrellas. So please embrace maths and embrace them uh, because it, it is an open door. You then have opportunities to have different careers. But the most important that I believe that whatever we do in terms of education is about making people wholesome and making people realize that they can do more in life and become better problem solvers. And if you're good at maths, your finance will improve immensely because you can see the patterns within it. And you can believe more in what they say. What is the seventh wonder of the world, if I'm not wrong? Is compound interest. If you don't learn anything about maths, learn about compound interest. So more women in STEM be, means more families will be able to manage their finances better as well. Because women are the ones that usually manage most of the finances. I'm being stereotypical here. I'm sorry about that. It's not usual. But when I'm talking about STEM girls, I just want to in, enhance their skills and make sure they are listening to this podcast and say, yeah, let me see more into math. And remember, you learn at your own pace. I have student adult learners. They learn afterwards. And now they love maths because they can see how they can use it on a daily life and leave the nine to five job or leave that low paid job. And now they're changing their lives, finding new careers and going back into university to education and going back into university because they weren't able to without the right grades. And this changes the whole family dynamic. Because if you have better jobs or better career or a better way of managing your finances, you're improving the lives of generations to come. And this is a, a trigger that, yes, more women in STEM, please. And I encourage parents to see that side. It takes the time. It doesn't matter when they learn. What matters is if they are learning. Ellie Garcia, founder of A2I Academy. Thank you very much for your time. Go follow and connect with Ellie on LinkedIn and check out A2I Academy online. And see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.